as a human being, I am entrusted with resources. And all I'm really trying to do, I'm just trying to be a good steward. A good steward of the resources that were entrusted to me. Who's ever listening right now? You're thinking to yourself about all your people, how wasteful they are. Let me tell you, you are the problem. You are the problem. They're not the problem. Well, hey there. If we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they are created to be so that others may benefit and God may be glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. And man, this is going to be good. Today, I get to share with you a conversation that we had with Paul Akers. Paul Akers founded his business FastCap in his garage in 1997, and they were focused on woodworking tools and hardware for the professional builder. And it was in the process of growing that business, which it has grown absolutely exponentially over the course of the past 20 plus years, that Paul coincided with Lean Six Sigma. Now, if you're like me, you may have heard of Lean Six Sigma before, but you don't fully understand and grasp what it is. Maybe you've never even heard of it before. So I wanted to provide you with a definition because it's going to give us a little bit of context for what we're walking into today. So Lean Six Sigma is a method that relies on a collaborative team effort to improve performance by systemically removing waste and reducing variation. I'm going to say it one more time. Lean Six Sigma is a method that relies on a collaborative team effort to improve performance by systemically removing waste and reducing variation. Now, here's the deal. If you go Google Lean Six Sigma, the first thing that you will recognize is that there is a whole world dedicated to this method, to this system of process improvement. And there are people that spend their entire careers devoted to getting master's degrees and PhDs specifically related to the principles outlined in Lean Six Sigma. Well, Paul coincided with this method of process improvement, and he didn't just like tiptoe into it. Paul is literally the definition, the walking embodiment of what it means to drink the Kool-Aid. He went all in on this methodology for his company, and then he became so effective and so successful with it that he started teaching it. He wrote books called The Two-Second Lean, Lean Health, Lean Travel, Lean Life, and Banished Sloppiness. Like The guy is absolutely obsessed, and he would use that word with this system of process improvement. And the reason why he's so obsessed is because of the results that it creates for people's businesses, but also people's lives. So this is such a treat. We get to dive into what it looks like to bring fundamental lean principles into your life, into your work, into your career, and into your business. And where I wanted to start was just by drawing the contrast of what it looks like to live and lead without these. Specifically, what is the opposite of lean? So what's normal is being comfortable with dysfunction. Hmm. So organizations and our lives are full of dysfunction. And we have become very comfortable with tolerating that. So whether or not it be finding our keys in the morning, kind of searching around for it, or looking for our thermos to find our thermos for our coffee, or finding our coffee because it's been put in a different place, or dealing with the way we engage our employees at work, the way they do their work, the way we engage our customers. All these things are processes. And in most companies, they're very comfortable with multiple levels of defects every time they do something. So they go to get their keys. Where's their key? They go to answer an email. They answer the email. They get four replies back because the first one was not sufficient because they didn't communicate well. So that is a level of dysfunction and defects. And they say, well, that's just the way it is. It takes four emails to get something done. I'm going, four emails? I don't even do emails. I do Boxer <laughs> and audio messages, and it's perfectly clear the first time. So comfortable with dysfunction. Mm, I love that. And it, it almost seems like part of the journey that you're about to take us on with regard to what it means to operate with lean principles and live by lean principles, it kind of has to be has to start with a recognition or a commitment to saying, I am no longer going to be comfortable with dysfunction. Yeah, you have to be pissed at yourself for all the stupidity, <laughs> the stupidity that you perform every day. If you have a level of angst, you're perfect for lead. If you're kind of like, oh, well, you know, it's kind of the way, 
don't even try this because it won't work. Doesn't matter what you do. Okay, so the the word that I hear you use a lot as the thing that you get pissed at, right? And the thing that you're waging war against is that word waste. So oh, absolutely. I'd love for you to define for us what waste is and then give us some examples of how it shows up in the individual's life and also how it shows up in the organization. So waste is anything you're not willing to pay for or your customers are not willing to pay for. For example, your customer orders... Uh, a can opener from you. And in order to package that can opener, your people need to walk 10 steps and then another 10 steps to get a packaging label and then another 10 steps to get the tape gun. So you walk maybe 30 extra steps in order to package that can opener. Well, whether you like it or not, that customer's paying for it because you have to support your workforce enough to be able to pay for them to do those 30 extra steps. And then you have to pass that on to the customer. That's the bottom line. The customer's paying for it. The can opener costs $9.60 instead of $9. Mm-hmm. And then you multiply that times 1,000 can openers a week or month or whatever you sell, that's waste. So in a lean environment, all we're doing is looking at all the things that don't add value. So here's the way to think about it, okay? This is the way that everyone in the world will understand instantly. You ready? Yes. When I'm going to eat, I take my fork and I put it down to the, to the food. That is no value. And it's bringing up to my mouth. It's no value, no value, no value, no value, no value, no value, no value at all. And then when at the moment my teeth and saliva start to touch it and, and grind it up, It turns into a nutrient that my body can absorb. And it's only at that moment that there's value being added. Because the reason I eat is to bring myself, ultimately, it's to bring yourself nutrition so you can function the next day. Mm -hmm. So all the processes that are connected to you getting them in your mouth and stuff are mostly non-value. Walking to the refrigerator is non-value. Opening the, opening the carton is non-value. Nothing's changing. When you pour the milk into the hot pan and it starts to change the form of the milk, value. Mm. When you take that out and you pour it into your bowl, you're making a, a soup, and you pour it into your bowl, non-value. Nothing's changing. When you go over to reach and grab the fork, nothing's changing. When you walk to the table, nothing's changed. Only at the moment that spoon of soup touches your mouth is value because that was the main goal. So all we're trying to do is say, how do we get rid of all the waste in everything we do, whether it be eating, whether it be answering emails, whether it be making woodworking tools as I do, whether it be learning Spanish as I'm doing right now. So do you ever truly get rid of all the waste? Is that the ideal that we should be striving for? Okay, so so it's an ongoing process. Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, the goal is not to get rid of all the waste because that's impossible, (laughs) right? It's it's virtually it's almost impossible. The goal is to play the game, to play the game of continually removing it and reducing it. Our target is to reduce the waste, not to eliminate. It's almost impossible to eliminate. There's waste and everything. It's just the laws of nature. But let's just take example for nature for a second. Let's look at an apple. Okay, an apple is a good example of very little waste. It's packaged in a skin, and you can eat the skin. You that's can eat right. the inside. If you're, if you're like me, you eat the entire cord, the seeds, and everything. <laughs> the only thing that's left over is the stem. And I take great joy and pleasure that I only have the stem left over every time I eat an apple. Hmm. So you can't get rid of all the waste. Certainly, there's going to be some, correct? That's right. But I reduce an awful lot of it. So in a package, when you go and buy food, you go get some cheese, and it's wrapped in cellophane. You're not eating the cellophane, you can't. But in the apple's case, nature does a very good job of eliminating waste. Humans have a propensity to create waste. Well, and in, in the, the cheese example, you're you're paying for the solophane. Whether you want to or not, you are paying for the <laughs> yeah. solophane. And so it's like absolutely waste adds to your margins as a business. And so it's worth paying attention to. Okay, so I know I've heard you describe before the eight types of waste that we should be looking mm-hmm. for. Can you mm-hmm. teach us a little bit on those eight oh. types and just kind of run through them high level? Absolutely. So first of all, for anybody in the audience that's listening right now, if anyone has ever taught you the eight ways with an acronym, it is a total disaster. You should flush (laughs) that out of your brain 
as quickly as possible. Because when I'm going to show you the eight ways right now, you'll never need an acronym ever again because it will make perfect sense to you. All waste stems from just one thing when we make too much of something. Mm. The minute we make too much of something, it's over with. I'm going to give you a food example so it's really relevant. Okay. So I go ahead and make a salad and I have three people over for dinner and I make enough salad for four or five people. Typical scenario, we all do it. So now I've overproduced. The demand is for three people, but I made enough salad for five people. So as soon as the dinner's over, what do I have to do? The next waste. I have to transport the overproduction to the refrigerator. Okay, so the first one is overproduction. The second one is transport. The salad has now been transported back to the kitchen. Now, what do I have to do with it? I have to put it in inventory. Hmm. Where's inventory? In a refrigerator. And if I'm good at overproducing, I have a big double-sided 42-inch sub-zero refrigerator. So now what happens is your inventory starts to grow. The amount of space it requires, more electricity, more light, more insurance. Your house grows. Everything grows. So see, it all happened when you overproduced. And then you had to transport it. Then you had to put it in inventory in your refrigerator. Those are the first three ways, right? Yes. So simple. How could you ever forget this story? That's you make right. too much. You transport it back in the kitchen. You throw it in your big fat refrigerator, right? Now That's right. let's go to the next way. The next day comes, you open up the refrigerator. Three days later, excuse me, I'll make it really fun for it. Three days later, you open the refrigerator, you look in that Tupperware and you go, that doesn't look so good. Guess what? You've got the next waste. It's called a defect. Mm. Okay. Now you got a defect. What are you going to do? This all came from overproduction. If you wouldn't have made too much and you would have been able to make exactly what the customer needed, which was enough salad for three people, you wouldn't even be doing any of these stupid things. Mm. So now you got a defect. What are you going to do with the defect? Oh, you're going to overprocess. You're going to do something to it that is not necessary. You're going to scrape it off into the trash. So now you're over, you're, you're adding a process that adds no value and you're doing now you're doing excess motion. The next waste. So once again to the review. First you overproduce, then you transport, you put it in inventory in the refrigerator, you have a defect, you overprocess, you excess motion. Now you have another problem. The next day you're making dinner for your wife and she's waiting on the couch because you're a nice husband. She's waiting. But you're in the kitchen, scraping the food off, cleaning the Tupperware, taking the trash out, taking it to the garbage. The garbage man's got to bring a bigger truck because he's got to throw out your insalata, your salad, take it to the landfill. We've got to hire a bigger D9. To, to bulldoze it under because everybody in the world is making a little extra salad. So that means 40% of all the food in the world is wasted. So we got big, huge landfills that we're piling under. Then we have to hire someone for 40 years to maintain it for the methane class. All because you make too much salad. Okay. <laughs> and your wife's on the couch waiting for dinner because you're out taking the trash out. You're cleaning the smell out of the refrigerator. You're cleaning the Tupperware. You're, you're using more soap to use it to clean the Tupperware. You didn't need to use the Tupperware, but you had to take the Tupperware out. You had to use more water, more soap. The waste is mind-numbing. And 99% of the people in the world are completely oblivious to what's going on. Mm -hmm. And then the eighth waste is you're wasting your potential. I can be in there creating beautiful French cuisine for my wife, but instead I'm running around like a little hamster in the waste world, in the waste wheel that everybody else in the world is engaged in. So number one, again, real quick, you overproduce, you transport it, you put it in the refrigerator, you find a defect, you overprocess it, excess motion, your wife's waiting, and you've wasted your potential as a magical chef for your wife because you're running around dealing with all your overproduction. That was a masterclass on both making a salad properly and the topic of waste. Exactly. exactly. I, I can just see business owners that are listening to this right now. Like as you paint that example, their their blood pressure is starting to rise because in their head, they're drawing parallels mm -hmm. probably to their kitchen, but also to their organization and every it's single everywhere. one of those steps. I, and, and so what I love about this though, is that you take that not as something that makes you bitter and resentful and no, angry. No, no, no. I mean, to a it's degree, a, you're a angry, 
but it's anger that compels you to action. So, so yeah. can you speak to the mindset through which you have to approach that waste and what's the proper way to come at it? The best way, and again, you're asking fabulous questions, I have to tell you, Alex. Thank you. You're really, you're really causing me to think about things in a little different light than I normally talk about. So the mindset is really simple. As a human being, I am entrusted with resources. I'm entrusted with the time that God has given me on this earth. I'm entrusted with the resources that I've been able, fortunate enough to be able to earn in my business. And all I'm really trying to do, what's the mindset? You ask the question, what's the mindset? Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to be a good steward, mm -hmm. a good steward of the resources that were entrusted to me, both the time on this earth and the physical resources and the personnel resources, the people who are, who have given me their lives to work side by side with me, that I give their life the most meaning. I am the good steward. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. And, and I love that there's, there's a faith component to that and that you're saying, oh, absolutely. I'm not, I'm not the end all be all ultimate owner of this. I'm just the manager of all this. And I just want to manage it really, really well. It, it makes me happy to know that I'm doing a reasonably good job. Not a great job, believe <laughs> me, but a reasonably good job. Okay. So once people make that decision and they say, I'm never going to get rid of all this waste while I'm on this side of heaven, but what, I'm going to do my absolute best and I'm going to play the game and I'm going to approach it with the mindset of a steward. What is, what is step one or how do we get started? Right here. See my finger? Take the finger. I'll put it right to the camera and turn it around and look only at your waste. Mm. No one else's. Mr. CEO that's running a $10 million company, a $500 million company who's ever listening right now, you're thinking to yourself about all your people, how wasteful they are. Let me tell you, you are the problem. You are the problem. They're not the problem. And when you figure out that you have enough waste for 10 lifetimes, when you really come to grips with that, not one lifetime, you have generated enough waste for 10 lifetimes. Then you'll back off and you'll realize, get your act together first, lead by example, and believe me, the sheep will follow. So when we decide that we are going to lead by example, and I love that you point that out because I think it can be so easy to listen to you talk through it and immediately start thinking about what other people should do differently, right? Like, oh man, I, I can think of so many people that struggle with this issue and the last person I think of is me. So, but it's all but you. When, it's all That's you. right. That's right. So whenever I take on that ownership hat and say, okay, the buck stops here, what, what is practical step one to either identifying that waste or starting to take action? Okay. Well, in my book, I talk about this and it's worldwide, it's world famous, it's fix what bugs you. Yeah. So, the, you know, here I am, I'm running a company of tens of millions of dollars in 40 countries, you know, lots of employees. I interact with people from all over the world every day. And I'm obsessed about where my keys are stored <laughs> in my fanny pack, right? I'm making sure that when I reach into the fanny pack, I get the keys instantly and I'm not fighting with the change that's in there or the money that's in there or the receipts that are in there. I'm thinking about that level of detail. Mm -hmm. So if it bugs you, you should stop right now and fix it. I can give you an example if you'd like. Another That'd be example. Great. Yeah. Okay. Well, first of so, all, you have to clarify, do you actually wear a, a fanny pack, Paul? I do when I'm traveling. Yes, okay. I do. When I, I, have a, I have a little one when I'm traveling. I keep my phones in there. I, I haven't driven a car for three months. I'm riding a bicycle every day to Spanish <laughs> class and back to kiteboarding class. Everything is on a bike. So, you know, I, I have my little backpack and I have a fanny pack that I can quickly access my phone, my AirPods and uh, my money. Yes, I do. Okay, but normally, so no, but norm, but I do now. Okay, so we, before we go to the other example, though, I think the thing that stands out about this, you know, I, I think people start to think towards the line of, okay, well, I, I want to get other people to do this. I don't just want to do this. And how do I get other people to do this? And man, I, like I just, the way I hear you talking about how you lead your life, I think to myself, well, I want to be kiteboarding in Mexico. I want to be going to Colombia. I want to be taking Spanish classes and climbing Mount Kilimanjaro and all this like Paul's doing. And the, the first thing that I would do is I would ask you, man, Paul, how did you get there? 
And I've got a feeling your answer might have something to do with these minute changes that you've been making over the course of your lifetime. Alex, you're hundred percent right. It's just, how did I get there by worrying about where my keys are in my fanny pack? That's how I got there. That's <laughs> but that's, I, got I mean, there. cause I think when people just look at the keys in the fanny pack, they think like, what is he saving? Like maybe half a second. And, and it sounds like you just perceive the ramifications of that half a second to be so much bigger. Well, let, let's just say I've been doing lean for the last, I have been doing lean for 20 years now. I've understood the waste field that I'm creating. Mm-hmm. And let's just say conservatively, very conservatively, I've made a quarter of a million improvements to my life. Let's just say that, okay? So if every one of those quarter of a million improvements saved me a few seconds, how much more life do I have? Enough, enough life to be an instrument-rated pilot and fly over the world? Enough life to, to go be in 106 countries? Enough extra time to get two Ironmen? To do kiteboarding? To ski all over the world? To scuba dive all over the world? Do I, could I, do you want me to keep going on? Cause I can go on and on and on. <laughs> yeah, that's right? right. To consult yeah. with the biggest companies in the world. Well, and the other thing that stands out is like, you're having a ball. Like you just, I mean, I, I've only been talking to you for less than half an hour now. And it just seems like you're on cloud nine and just have a, just an absolute joy getting to do what you do, which I don't know a lot of people that are doing as much as you're doing and are actually enjoying it. It's, it's the most outrageous life in the world. And I got to tell you, I have literally thousands of friends all over the all over the world, and I have all the people in my world, all the people that are in my universe. They all are doing what I'm doing. They're all thinking this way. They're all acting, maybe not to quite the extreme as me, because I've maybe been doing a little bit longer. But many, many, many of them are operating at this level, because first of all, that's the only people I let into my world. Because I don't have time for people with make excuses or posers, people that want to tell me all the reasons it can't be done. I'm surrounded by people that can make it happen. So I'm inspired exponentially. So you, you say, oh, you're so passionate. Well, if you're surrounded by people like this, how could I not be? I, I heard you say something in something that I was listening to from you that you said something to the effect of as human beings, we never naturally subtract it is always an intentional action. Yeah, we keep that. We keep that. And, and so, yeah. so can you speak to the role of subtraction and simplicity in everything you're you, talking about? Okay. So I'm Paul Akers. I run a company of tens of millions of dollars of business. I make a lot of money. I used to have two airplanes, two airplanes. I have no airplanes now. This is how I travel all over the world in this one backpack with two pairs of shorts, two pairs of socks, two pairs of underwear, a couple shirts, and a couple tank tops, one pair of sandals, and one pair of running shoes. This is how I travel all over the world. Right here, you're looking at it. The art of subtraction. And you wanna know what's happening now? That's not good enough. Because there's missing one thing, my guitar. I play guitar all the time. But on this trip, I didn't bring my guitar. Bob Taylor, Taylor Guitars is a personal friend of mine. I talk to Bob all the time. I said to Bob, I really feel bad, Bob. I don't have my guitar with me. And I got an idea. Can you make me a guitar case where the top opens up about that thick? So it's the shape of a guitar. And I can put all my clothes, my computer, and everything in there. So I just have one piece of luggage, my guitar, and all my stuff. And he goes, Paul, that's a great idea. Now Taylor Guitars is producing this product. So I can travel all over the world with just my guitar and nothing else. I love that. Okay, so why why does it make sense for you to travel so light? Like, why is it not just a good lifestyle decision? Because I think a lot of times people think of essentialism and, and simplifying your life and they think, oh, that's a nice lifestyle for some people. But why is it effective for you as a business person? Well, number one is I'm not preoccupied with managing my stuff. Hmm. Which I think a lot of us, I think a lot of us are more preoccupied than we'd like to admit with managing our stuff. Oh my God. I'm the worst sinner of all. I'm not poking thinner. I mean, I don't want to tell you how much stuff I have, but if I had to do my life all over again, I wouldn't have any of that stuff. Mm. But unfortunately I spent a good part of my life not understanding what was going on. So now, because I only have this much stuff, I have plenty of time to learn Spanish, to take salsa (laughs) lessons, to take kiteboard lessons, 
to think about anything I want to think about because I'm not managing my stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's, it's crazy how, you know, you add the decision of like, you don't decide what shirt to put on. You don't decide what shoes to put on. You don't have to figure out where your keys are and you add all of that up over an extended period of time. And what's the result? Like I was trying to put a word to the result. I was like, what is he yeah, experiencing right now? I was like, he's experiencing it's freedom. It's freedom. freedom. I was like, that's what it is. And I right. think, I think so often we buy the lie that stuff stuff or or scheduled right. or things like that equals freedom and that just isn't right. the case so this was the way i was in my spanish class right here with my <laughs> tank top okay but when i i realized i had an interview i've had interviews non-stop since i've been in latin america so i went down to a local store and bought uno dress shirt because i didn't bring any dress shirts with me <laughs> so when i do an interview it takes me this long to get ready for the interview and i'm That's done right. and you think i'm dressed up and i'm in shorts I'm in shorts <laughs> And a tank top. I love it. Well, for the record, you didn't have to put on the dress shirt. I'm honored that you bought that okay. in service okay. of us. No, no problem. Well, to... I want to. I want to look a little presentable because I always run around in just a tank top and, and a and a and a pair of shorts. That's the way I spend my life. And a pair of sandals. I don't know. I don't remember the last time I wore a pair of shoes. Man. Okay. So our mission at Path for Growth is we say we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they are created to be so that others may benefit and God may be glorified. And so mm. we, we start with that impact-driven leader, right? This is a highly aspirational person. They want to make a difference on the world. They want to make a difference on their team. The, the business is just the vehicle through which they get to make that impact and they get to leave that legacy. 100% and, agree. And they, like the thing that we focus on a lot is stepping into who you're created to be. And so often it feels like the road to stepping into who you're created to be. A lot of times we think like, okay, well it involves me getting and adding things. And it sounds like what you're saying is you getting to the person that is most Paul, like you getting to the version of you that is most alive, most fulfilled and most free actually occurred whenever you started taking all those layers away. Exactly. So the best way to illustrate that, Alex, is this. Mm -hmm. About 15 years ago, I met a Navy SEAL and we were doing some business together. And he said to me these profound words. He said, Paul, every 30 days, a significant, i.e. life changing event will happen or opportunity will happen in every human being's life. So the way he said it was, Every 30 days, a significant opportunity passes in front of every human being. Rich, poor, I don't care what country, Africa, anywhere. The question is, he said, are you awake? Hmm. And the problem is most people are not awake. So what I'm getting to is this. By stripping away all that stuff, I'm very sensitive to all the things that are going on around me. I'm not consumed in managing stuff. So I miss those life changing opportunities. Hmm. That's powerful. One of the things that you talked about in, in the book, two second lean was the idea that we don't want to call it out in others necessarily. We don't want to call out other people's ways and things like that. And even if you are a leader in an organization, the right approach is not to call it out in other people. But the mm. example, and I know it's been a while since you've written that book, but the example that stood out to me the most was whenever you said you visited, I think it was a company in Japan called Hawks. Yeah, is that yeah, correct? Yeah. And and yeah, so I still go there all the time. I'm good friends uh, with them. I go there. Oh, all that's the awesome. So so tell us a little bit about what that initial visit taught you and what the light bulb moment uh, or the epiphany moment was that kind of shifted the way you lead the institution of lean processes in your business. There were two epiphanies that happened to me on that day, and I'll never forget it. The first one was when I saw the president of the company who had a PhD mopping the floor. I thought, hmm, I was in a suit. He was in just casual work clothes. And he was much more educated than me, and he ran a much bigger company than me. But yet he thought it was necessary to work side by side, shoulder to shoulder with his people and clean the facility. And he did that every morning. So that was the first thing that I said, what is going on here? 
And I, and then he made me get down on my hands and knees in my suit and tie and clean the floor with a rag. And I was pissed. <laughs> I was like, this is dumb. This was yeah, pre-backpack days, huh? This was yeah, before yeah, yeah, the yeah. backpack. <laughs> oh, God. I think I had a, three suitcases with me. <laughs> and I thought to myself, we have floor cleaners to do this. This is not necessary. Why don't we do it with the floor cleaner? And he looked over at me and he said, Paul son, you're missing the lesson. You must be humble leader. Work with your people side by side. Then they will follow you. And I go. And then I said to him, this was the second epiphany. I said to him, what happens when Ford comes here? What happens when Nissan comes here? What happens when all the other companies from around the world who have come to see what you're doing, what happens? And he goes, Paul son, they have PhDs and master's degree. Smart people complicate things. They cannot believe that it could be this simple. Hmm. Okay, so was that a moment where you were like, oh my, like, was that literally that a transformative a moment? It changed my life. It changed mm -hmm. my life. It's why I am who I am today. It's why, I'm the, it's why I went home from that event. And I said, I get it. Everyone has made this lean thing way too complicated. It's very simple. It's every morning, get on your hands and knees, clean the toilets with your people, start 3Sing. That's number one. Number two, have a morning meeting, side by side with your people, talk about your problems. That's what he did. I watched him. And then number three, he didn't do, but that's my third component. Make before and after videos holding your phone horizontally, never vertically, Always like this. This is the way you watch a TV screen. Look at your TV. Look at your computer screen. It's horizontal. It's not vertical. <laughs> and show the problem and the solution in 60 seconds to two minutes. I started doing that formula, that simple formula, because unfortunately, I didn't go to Harvard. I didn't have an MBA. And I didn't think I was super smart, very successful, wildly successful. But I didn't have any of that acumen, didn't have any of those degrees around me. And I went home and did that formula. Three S every day, never made an excuse met with my team every day and started making videos. And the reason you and I are talking today, because I showed the world, I didn't teach the world. I showed the world what I was doing. And today my book's in 19 languages. Okay, I wanna dive into those three S's because I, I'd like to know a little bit of the why and the like, what, what is actually happening there that makes it so profound. So, so start with the Beautiful. first one, start with the first S, what is it and why, why does it matter so much? And then what does it look like practically? Okay, the first one is sweep and that means simply clean. So let's again, use the analogy of the kitchen because there isn't a person on the world that doesn't get the kitchen. Yeah. You walk into a kitchen, you have two choices. You have a bunch of a sink full of dirty dishes, or you have it perfectly clean, the countertop. There's not a dish, everything's put away, everything's perfect. Which one do you want to work in? Mm -hmm. The clean one, for sure. Of course. Which one are you going to be more productive in? Absolutely the clean one. Which one are you going to be more happy in? Yeah, for sure the clean one. So this is why you 3F. You start work because you want to be happy, and you want to be more successful, and you want to be more productive. So the first thing you do every day before you ever work is 3S. I 3S my home, I 3S my apartment, I 3S my, my hotel room, I 3S my Spanish class. Yes, I 3S my Spanish class. It is the first thing I do before I ever do anything. Man, I, I just think about this with regard to like the, the area that probably needs the most 3Sing for me right now is probably my computer desktop. Like it needs some sweeping done right now, you know? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. okay, so the, the idea that I get in my head is, man, Paul, like I get it. Like I get that it will one day make me more effective and organized, but like I've got urgent stuff that needs to get done right now. I've got a lot of things right. going on right now. Yeah. And that's what I think we all get in our head. How do you respond to that person? That's, that's the reason why you have urgent stuff that has to get done. That's why you're kind of going around their head on fire, right? That's why you're not thinking about kiteboarding or, you know, you know I'm being a little facetious here, but you get the idea. When, 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 you're, when you take the time every day to do it, first of all, it's, it's easy. There's nothing hard about it. It's very easy for me to, to, to work on my desktop because everything's always being sorted. I always, part of my practice, I turn on my computer, sort everything. They get rid of all the downloads. They get rid of all the screen captures, jump in the trash computer's nice and clean, now start working. Mm -hmm. So what does that take me? Three minutes, four minutes? But if I never do it, then it's always kind of like this process, oh, I don't want to wrestle this animal. I don't want to get, get involved with this great big bear. 
So when you start the process, when you start the kata, in Japanese, we call this the kata, the routine, the mm -hmm. daily routine, then all of a sudden it all becomes very, very easy and you're not going to struggle with these things. And so, so it's, the first one is, is clean. Go. Okay, Go sweet. And then what's the second one? Sort. You want to get everything out of the work area that is not necessary. I, I'm, I'm thinking in Spanish 100% here, but I'm just, I'll do it in English. So I'm in my Spanish class, okay? You're not going to believe this. I mean, I don't think the audience is going to believe what I'm going to tell them right now, but this is the truth. So I wrote a book called Two Second Lean. I wrote a book about lean health, my physiology. I wrote a book about lean life. I wrote a book about a lean travel. I wrote a book about Japan and what an extraordinary country it is. And I'm about ready to maybe start my sixth book. It's called Lean Language. So <laughs> I have been studying Spanish for 42 days. And yesterday I went into my Spanish teacher and I said, I can't do this anymore. We got to change the way we're doing this. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. We're, there's so much waste. I can't even wait. I'm happy to pay you. I want to rebuild the way we do Spanish. And she looks <laughs> at me like, well, where are you? Are you like from outer space? She knows who I am. She goes, let's do it. So today was our first day after yesterday, beginning to work out the framework of, of starting to teach two second lean language. Oh and the first gosh. thing we did is we, I laid all the formula. I've, I've been putting it all together in my brain, exactly how it's going to work. And it's 100% the opposite of the way everyone teaches language. 100% opposite. We put it, we started, I started practicing up on the board and she had her board and she was writing down this conjugation and this conjugation and this conjugation. I said, stop three S the board. I'm confused. Clean the whole board, take everything away. Now, what is it you're trying to teach me? Only write one thing up there. And when I've got that one thing, erase it, put another thing up on the board. I can't look on the board and see scribbles all over the place and make any sense of that in my head. And she goes, really? She erased it. Then she started doing it. She goes, whoa, I see what you're saying now. You're comprehending everything I'm saying so simply. But when I scribble everything up on the wall, wall and I don't 3S nonstop all the way through the lesson, I don't organize the vocabulary on one side, the verbs on the other side. Do you see what I'm saying? And I don't have an organized flow of work that's really thoughtful. It makes it very difficile. This is difficult, difficult for the student. <laughs> muy difficile. Yeah. No, muy facile. Make it really easy. Let's make it. And she goes, she's totally getting it. Completely getting it. All based on 3S. 3S that board. I can't look at that board like that. You look at any Spanish teacher in the world, they got more crap all over the place. They're right in here, right in there. This color, that color. Could you understand all that? How do I organize that in my head? Impossible. So we swept the board. We sorted the board. We put the vocabulary right here. We put the phrases, common phrases that she always uses. And tanse, repito, right? So you're always saying these words, right? So those are common phrases in Espanol that are used over and over and over again. Es muy bueno. So we have a vocabulary list. Mikasa, Mikasa. We have a la manzana, an apple. We have a vocabulary list, and then we have a common phrase list. So we have a nice column that we're building, and over here we have the verbos. We have the verbs, and then in the middle we have the big white space. That's like our workstation. So we have everything organized. We have all of our bins, everything organized: the words, the phrases, the verbs. Super clean. She adds a new verbo. She just breaks another verbo there, and then we can take that verbo and put it on the main board. Work with it, conjugate it do different things with it, and then move it back over there, clean the board off, bring another verbo out, clean it. That's 3Sing. That's Sweet. right. And standardize. We created a standard the way we work and teach. We have the verbos in perfect order here. We have the vocabulary in perfect order here. And right next to it, we have the phrases, the common phrases. No say. That means I don't know. No say. She says it all the time. No say. I don't have to think about it. There's the phrases. No say. Repito. And Tonse, you see what I mean? Totally. Perfectly organized, a perfect process, sweep, sort, and standardize, a perfect standard by which we learn Espanol. I've been doing this for 42 days. For 42 days, every board, by the end of the time, the end of the four hours, it's chaos. <laughs> I don't know my head from a hole in the wall. And then I got to go home and try to put all this together in my brain. Zero struggle right now. Zero. Mm -hmm. Everything is perfectly organized for the last four hours that I had that lesson. Today was the first day 
first full day of Two Second Lean Espanol. Well, congratulations. I'm, I'm thrilled to see sure. the book Lean Language. We'll, we'll do this yeah. next podcast in Spanish and hopefully I'll, we'll have yeah, read the book and then I'll, oh, I'll know uh, Spanish uh, as well. So that'll be great. Uh, <laughs> I would love that. That would be fantastic. Okay, so uh, I, I think the, the parallel that I'm drawing, you, you got to work closely with Zach as we kind of set up this conversation today. Zach is our, mm-hmm. our COO. He's literally in his second week. And I didn't, I didn't know who you were, Paul, until Zach introduced me to you. And he was like, oh, we should do a podcast interview with this guy. I started reading your stuff, looking at your stuff. It's like, oh my gosh, this is like mind blowing. And this is all the areas that you are so passionate about. It's the areas that I am not naturally strong, right? And it's the, it's mm-hmm. the things that I have so much respect and, and just like, just be- believe in it to the nth degree. It's just, I'm not naturally good at it. Conversely, mm-hmm. Zach is just like, he thinks in terms of process. I mean, his favorite book, I swear, has got to be the Toyota way or the goal. Like he just right, loves right, that right, stuff. Right. And he's just come in in the past two weeks and it's just like, he's kind of opened my eyes to the fact that it's like, dude, every time you go fumbling through Google drive to find the same document, every single time you bring it up. And there's always a time when you bring it up. He said, first of all, how are you going to teach someone else how to do that? And then second of all, wouldn't it save so much time if we just took a little bit of time on the front end to put it all in its right place. And it seems like that's what sorting is like everything. Mm -hmm. Number one has a place and then everything goes in its place and you do that every single day right and every and every moment of your life so the minute something's out of place instead of continuing to work in toyota we stop the line and we say why why is it not there then we find the lost sheep if you will and we put it back in its place so we can continue to work effectively instead of in a disorganized discombobulated way Mm, okay so we sweep and then we sort and then we standardize and and that is the process Okay, and that's so, what I just did. With, I kept kept the board clean. Mm-hmm. I sorted out all the crap that didn't need to be there, and we created clear standards where the verbs, where the phrases, and where the vocabulary went. And what you're saying is, initially, like if you go from a stage of I've never, I, I haven't done this in three years, a, a, to now I need to sweep, sort, and standardize. It's probably going to take a lot of time on the front end. But then after you do it on the front end, you do it every single day, and it's just this minute deposit for the rest of your right? life the rest of your life but here's the key you should not go in and go home to your garage and tear out your entire garage you should tear out one shelf in your garage just do one shelf a day Mm. right just one shelf just get rid of the stuff on one shelf keep the stuff you need get rid of the other stuff give it away do whatever you're gonna then the next day another the minute you start doing this in a sweeping fashion you're gonna become so overwhelmed you're gonna quit so i always tell people you need to start super slow but more importantly, extremely consistent. It's the consistency that is the magic bullet. It's not the breadth of what you do. So the best analogy is the tortoise and the hare. When I speak in front of people, I have this fabulous video of this race between, literally a race that someone stayed between a rabbit and a turtle. And the turtle went just like this. (laughs) <laughs> but it kept going in the same direction. And the rabbit went fast, then came back, went back, went to the side, went to the back. And lo and behold, the turtle won. Yeah, I'm a killer rabbit. Like <laughs> I go I go a billion different directions, but it's fast and flashy whenever I do it. So it's like, mm-hmm. that's pretty convicting though. You know, I mean, and that-, that Well, but, I got eyes. news for you, Alex. So I'm the same person as you. Mm. I'm the same person. But I started to feel the benefits of what I learned at Hawks. I started to feel the benefits, and then I got really strong at doing this kata, and I and I, I would never in a million years ever even consider going back to the old Paul. Hmm. It would be it's like repuls it's repulsive. Hmm. That's fascinating. Are you familiar with Are you familiar with the name Jordan Peterson? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm I'm a big Jordan Peterson fan, and I feel like what right. he writes about from a clinical psychology perspective just supports so much of what you're saying because he literally says, "Look at your house and find one corner and make that corner beautiful." Absolutely, 
Absolutely. And like, don't even just make it like mediocre, make it beautiful. And it's Absolutely. crazy how if you can make one corner of your house beautiful, like it gives you the motivation to make more corners beautiful. But then the other thing that he says that I think is so fascinating because it ties into what you said about stewardship, Paul, is he said, until you actually invest time and energy to make your countertop or your corner or your closet beautiful, you don't actually own that closet. You may think yeah, you own that closet, but you don't own it. And and I think that there's a parallel here to creating an ownership mentality in our companies is, is I think we all say, oh, I want team members. I want employees that have an ownership mentality. But until you start thinking like this, you don't actually own it. You don't feel like you own nah, it. 100% agree. 100%. So how it's do all, you, again, it's so simple. So how do you start creating this culture where it's not just you, Paul, that value simplicity in your life as an individual, but people start saying like, man, I'm, I'm going to start taking the same level of ownership as Paul of sweeping and sorting and standardizing the arena that I've been entrusted with. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you a, a story, 60 second story that will answer that question perfectly. There's a man named Jim Landtech owns a company called Landtech. I don't know, five, six, seven, eight hundred employees. They make shrink wrapping machines. We have one at my company automated shrink wrapping machines for pallets. I went and visited him about 10, 15 years ago. I don't remember when it was, 10 years ago. And, you know, unbelievable lean organization, just unbelievable factory. And I interviewed him at the end. It's on the internet. You can go Paul Akers, Jim, or you can go Land Tech, and you'll see the question I asked him. But I basically said, so Jim, what's the role of the CEO? And he said, essentially, you know, Paul, the CEOs think we should be out charting the vision of the company. How are we going to conquer the world? How are we going to get to X amount of numbers and sales? How are we going to do this? Bring our employees in, do the put them on the couch and psychoanalyze them, figure out what's going on. That's not the role of the president of the company. It's not the role of the leader. The role of the leader is for me to spend my time helping my people do their job better. How do I help them improve their job? So the answer is, how do you get your culture? This was your question. How do you get people to feel the way you feel? When you, as a CEO, stop pointing and saying, you need to be lean, and start finding out what their problems are, providing them the resources, both time and physically, the physical resources and the time resources, to improve their work. That will demonstrate to them that you're serious about continuous improvement. And then they will begin to get charged and your culture will be dynamic. So at my company, first hour and a half of every day, they have the time, the three S, they have the time to meet as a team, they have the time to make improvement videos, they have all the resources they need to make all these improvements, and we never work for an hour and a half. We've been doing this for 20 years. I mean, could you imagine how much money that's cost me? Millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars I've spent, not just in resources, but in labor time. But today, you know, for your audience, is mind-boggling numbers. Again, tens of millions of dollars in business, six people in the office running our company, 40 countries, no sales department, no marketing department, no HR department, no financial department, no janitorial department, six people, tens of millions of dollars in business. That's because everybody's jacked up about doing lean. Would that, would those results have been possible without the rhythm of that hour and a half every single morning? It, absolutely impossible. Never in a million years, ever. Mm. And the beautiful thing is, Alex, it's proven because I have thousands of companies around the world that are doing exactly that with the exact same result. That's right. So when you teach people to do a morning meeting with their team, explain what that is and explain how you teach that, Paul. Yeah. So again, we're going to go back to my previous answer. You must be consistent, but start slow. So well, our meetings last a half hour, 45 minutes. Our three essing is a half hour every day. That's a lot of time. Never, ever, ever do that. That would be the <laughs> biggest mistake you ever made. You need to do spend 10 minutes for the rest of your life as your team, giving your team 10 minutes to not work and just clean up, sweep, polish their machine, clean their desktop on their computer. Don't answer the phone. Don't answer emails. Don't do anything. Just do your three essay. 10 minutes, 10 minute morning meeting. 
then just a short morning meeting, talk about your problems, what are the issues, maybe watch one of my videos. Man, that guy's crazy, muy loco, whatever it is, <laughs> you know, learn something, break, go to work. That's it. That's it. No more. And then as your company matures, as your culture begins to mature and you and your people realize, wow, the owner's serious about this. He's not pulling that back. This was not the flavor of the month. We only did it for a month or two months, and then we went back to the old way. No, he insisted, do not answer the phone. Do not turn on the machine. Sweep the floor, polish your machine, whatever it takes. Find an improvement, fix what bugs you. Oh, you need an extra 10 minutes? You got an extra 10 minutes. You need an extra half hour? You got an extra half hour. Oh, you need $200 in materials to make that improvement? $200 in material. That's how you do it. And when you do that, it's over. And so we haven't we haven't necessarily hit on this word, but you've said it a few times. It's that word improvement. And I know that ties into that, that Japanese term that you're so passionate about, which is Kaizen. So all Kaizen means is it's two words to make Kaizen, to make good, to mm. make something good. And in the Japanese culture, they think of Kaizen as a daily thing, you know, get your health better, sort and organize your work area. You know, everything is about Kaizen. It's a Kaizen culture. They're not perfect. No, no, no. I'm not saying the Japanese are perfect. I'm not saying they just happen to be better than everybody else, but they're not perfect. Okay. So if you can handle better than everyone else, that's great. But if you want, <laughs> if you, if you got, if they've got to be perfect in order for you to believe anything they're doing, then that's your prerogative. I, I, you know, I don't know what to say. None of us are perfect. Okay. So that's Kaizen. It means to make good. So, and, and in my vernacular, we say fix what bugs you. So, you know, if it bothers you that you can't find your keys and your fanny pack, stop and ask yourself why. Why can't you find it? Because your coins are in there, because you stuff your receipts in there. So you can have a designated place, that small little pouch in front that just the Yavis goes in, just the keys go in. Okay. So the keys go there. The coins now that were loose in there and very difficult to grab, I got a little tiny coin purse. Okay. I love that you're showing us all, all my things. So my key, my keys are in this front little pouch right here. Okay. There's the keys. And and of course my process is when I walk back into my apartment, they always go right back in here so that when I'm ready to leave, what happens? I'm not spending my time looking for my keys. So the first thing I do is I put my keys back in here. Right. So now I knew for sure I was going to show you this. There was no way I was going to screw this up <laughs> yeah. because I follow my process because I three F and then I open my other pouch and what's in my other pouch, my little coin purse. So when I go to uh, the store supermarket and they say it's, you know, a hundred mil, I've got exactly what I need and I'm not fishing around in the bottom because that was what I was doing and it was driving me crazy. I had the change and I had the keys in the front pouch. So I said, no, 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 that's bothering me. So I went and got a little tiny coin pouch for very cheap separated that and organized and three S my fanny pack. And the result is every day I use it, it works great. I don't have any problems. I'm not struggling, man. And just speaking to the ripple effect of this, I, I, I legitimately believe more than probably just about, I say just about probably more than anyone I've ever had a conversation with or interviewed that is in the content arena and teaches on a specific topic, you are like the walking, living embodiment of what you teach, which is pretty remarkable, right? And and it was it was crazy to me how I found myself taking my preparation for this conversation more seriously because I had an awareness of how high your standard was, Paul. Mm. And so like, and I, I've got the feeling, I know for a fact, actually, that I'm not the only one that's had that, that experience with you mm. because Zach, our COO said the same thing. He's like, man, I just like, I want to make sure that I'm on the game because I know Paul's going to be on his game. Right. right. But, 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 but here's the most important point is that yeah. everyone needs to know. I, failed you oh okay well and- i forgot I, I forgot the meeting i screwed up this is part of being a lean thinker that you are very in touch with your weaknesses mm. and you acknowledge them and you don't hide them i screwed you guys up big time this was set for today i got so preoccupied with my spanish class and changed it two second lane i didn't check my calendar my process is to always contact the host the day before so it's fresh in my mind we got everything dialed in we know what's going on i didn't follow my process it failed me i failed because i didn't follow my process then i failed you i created this huge waste stream 10 extra messages to get me back on the phone to get everything ready instead of being prepared miserable Failure. 
<laughs> okay, well, that that's people not where I was that. going with this, but I, I know, I know. But the point is, people, you, you, I, I understand that. But there's this sense that you know I'm perfect or I'm damn close to perfect, and I'm anything but that. You know, oh, what I, mean? I have yeah. tremendous weaknesses all well, the time, and and but I but I take great joy in the fact that I'm going to improve based on what I screwed up on on this interview. Totally. I mean, it was, I will tell you for Zach and I, we literally kind of reflected on the fact that it was like, oh my gosh, I'm a little bit relieved that this guy can be late to something. But then never, also, I'm never, I'm never late. I don't, <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I, don't I, I believe that. Word. And I totally believe I that. <laughs> I don't know that word. It's not in my vernacular. That's a defect. I don't want to have anything to do with it. I'm on time. I got my together and I make and life happen. So when I fall down, like I did today, it's not good. Oh, uh, and yeah. I realize what I did wrong. <laughs> Well, and I, I appreciate the ownership of that. And, you know, it, it wasn't a big deal to us, but it was this re it was this realization moment for me where up until that point, I was like, man, Paul, Paul is a superhero. It's almost like he's he's Superman with no kryptonite. And the like, that's an incredible ideal to have as a role model, I suppose. But it also lets me off the hook because I'm like, well, Paul's Superman. Like I, I can't be Superman, but I can admire Superman. And so when, when you message us and you're like, man, guys, I'm so sorry. I screwed up. I didn't follow my process. Suddenly I was like, oh my gosh. So you're telling me that the lifestyle that he's living, it's actually possible for me because Paul makes mistakes too. So, and so there's, there's and, two and a great, and a great leader will always own those mistakes yes. in front of everyone. You don't like, I kind of screwed up. No, no. Everyone in the world, hopefully will know how bad I screwed up today. Well, I have I, no problem with I have no problem with, with, with admitting that. Yeah. But, but and I no think excuses. It's no, it's not your fault. Oh, oh, Zach didn't quite follow through. No, it's my fault. I screwed up. <laughs> Well, that's right. But I think sometimes we get so afraid of making the mistake and owning the mistake that we just don't even establish a high standard for ourselves at all. And what I admire so much about you is you establish such a relentlessly high standard for yourself. And for you, it's just like a lifestyle now. It's how you live, it seems like. But but you establish a high standard and you acknowledge I will fail sometimes. But when I do that, I'm going to own it. And that will not keep me from not having that yeah. standard at all. And so that's the opportunity to improve. So can you just, before we close out today, I'd love you to just give the final word of encouragement or challenge to people. Just, just like, what do you want them to hear from Paul that would hopefully get them to recognize that this isn't just a nice theory. This is something that's actually worth taking action on. I'll leave it to you. I'm a D and C student. I struggled with everything in school. In my Spanish class, I'm the dumbest guy in the class. Everything is more difficult for me than everyone else. Today, I have literally one of the best lives in the world. I got there because of my commitment to embracing my small problems every day and improving them. And because of that, I have, I don't know anybody in the world that has a life as good as mine. And I'm a DNC student. I'm a carpenter. I love that, man. This is so powerful. It's powerful for me personally. So I know people are going to want to stay in touch with you. One of the resources that I used is your whole podcast feed. You have a whole podcast feed filled with your audio books and you even add in some mm -hmm. special commentary. So we're going to put the link to that in the show notes, your videos that you've put online. There's hundreds of them. And I would tell people you got to go check. I mean, this guy, if you think he's good on audio, you got to see him on video because it's just a ball. I, it, how else can they stay in touch with you and keep up with everything you're doing? Paul? Well, the best way is I hate email. So don't send me any email. <laughs> you, uh, my cell phone is readily available. I'll give it right now. It's 360-941-3748. But don't call me because I'm not going to answer the phone. Just contact me on Signal, Voxer, or WhatsApp. My first preference is Voxer. It's a very fast communication uh, thing. All audio. I'll answer all my messages. You can get my app. It's all free. I just spent $50,000 on it. Two Second Lean Play, it has all my books now in audio format in nine languages. There's a built-in chat where you're reading the book, you're listening to me talk to you, and then you push a button and you talk to me 
personally, and I'll answer every message. <laughs> that is insane. I love that. I'm going to go download the app right now. So we'll put the link to all that in the show notes of this episode. Gosh, Paul, thank you so much for just being so generous with your time. And more than that, just for living the message that you give. I just have so much respect for that and admiration mm -hmm. for that. So we're so grateful for you. Thank you. It's, it's my pleasure, Alex. It's pure joy. So it's not hard to do what I do. It's pure joy. Man, I just love that guy so much. His energy and his passion and his enthusiasm for what he does is just such an inspiration. So he referenced so many resources, and we talked about a lot of different resources in that conversation. We'll put the links to all of those in the show notes of this episode. Also, I'm going to challenge you as an application out of this. He gave us his contact information. So my challenge to you would be to think of one thoughtful question that this conversation spurred and send it to him. Why not? What would it look like for you to have a really thoughtful, expansionary question about the application of these principles and send it to him and see what his thoughts are? There's so much value in extracting knowledge applicable to our situation from other people's perspective. Hey, before we go real quick too, every Wednesday, we send out an email called Worth It Wednesday because most emails aren't worth it. So our team set out to create one that is. So every Wednesday, we send out a principle worth learning, a question worth answering in your journal or maybe with someone you trust, and a recommendation worth taking. These have just been such a blast to share with y'all. I really appreciate all of y'all's feedback and encouragement on this because so many of you have signed up and have even forwarded these to other people as well, and we really, really appreciate that. So you can sign up for that with the link that's in the show notes as well. Hey, remember, we're rooting for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.